There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. We can watch it on the bellows starring everybody and me. We'll take the world and set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're gonna start right here. And we are going to start right here. Hello, welcome to Triple Feature, a Rattleogen Broadcasting Network podcast. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And on the marquee tonight are three, count them, three MMA-themed movies. And we are, we knew the assignment tonight. I am repping Bobby Knuckles, and my co-host for these MMA features is Robert Winfrey, repping Tap Out. Yay! can tell you how old this shirt is because it is tap out <laughs> when they still did mma related stuff uh, yeah they're uh they're wwe now right i don't know i don't care really <laughs> not in the the i could not possibly care less about apparel brands i i asked because you once did an entire show about it uh talking about the um the reebok deal so i thought you yes. had your and that I had you just you are in possession of sometimes some of the weirdest minutia of things. So I figured you would know. Uh, I talked about it because I had a professional interest in it, mm -hmm. given what it did to the financial landscape of being a professional fighter and what it did to the UFC and their fighters. Uh, but like, do I care? I care no, that Reebok. I, 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 I don't care that Reebok. Look, Reebok made. Reebok's quality of gear is quite high, but if you look at the long, sad history of their tenure as the uh, exclusive sponsor and of, of apparel for the UFC, it was a train wreck. Who ended up taking over that once the Venom. Reebok ended? Venom? Okay. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that show of yours. Of all the shows you've done, that's the one that sticks out at me. You talking about clothing in, the, in, in uh, mixed martial arts. It was more about the financials and how the fighters got screwed again. Anyway, speaking, speaking of fighters getting screwed. <laughs> so, yes, we are doing three MMA themed features tonight. Um, and we're doing this because of the new one from Halle Berry, which actually came out in 2020. And I'll, I'll talk about that in just a second. It made its um, it made its festival debut in late 2020 and then and featured uh, people throwing tomatoes at the screen. It did not. Um, it might then, have. Actually, I didn't I didn't hear it. it I, I, I assure you it didn't. Um, and then it had a limited theatrical run early in November and then debuted on Netflix November 24th. So it is the centerpiece feature of our triple feature this evening. Um, and in case you forgot who I am, I'm Mark, your mandated reporter. And frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. Um, <laughs> forgot how to intro the show. Uh, and then we are going back to January of this year. Uh, for another MMA feature called Born a Champion. And then finally, I'm sure I probably could have found one that's a little bit closer to, to when these other movies came out. But I said, you know, um, there's Warrior is such a great movie, and it's only 10 really years is. old. Um, it's probably the best of this sub-sub-sub-sub-genre. 
that, that I can see. It's certainly the best of these three. So I'm like, well, never, we'll talk, we would probably never talk about it under any other circumstances. So why not? Let's let's throw that in with these three. Yeah, Warrior is the best MMA movie in terms of overall movie quality. Mm-hmm. Sadly, neither of these other two we're discussing even crack the top five. <laughs> All right. So, um, if the, or if they do, it's by default. Number two, God help us all, is probably here comes the boom, <laughs> which we'll never talk about anyway. Um, unless I feel giddy and want to do a James, um, what's his face feature, Kevin James. Yeah, Kevin James. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to get too far off the beaten path here. So, like, literally 50 words or less. I'm here with Robert Winfrey, and and longtime listeners know everything there is to know about Robert, including his underwear size. But for those of you who caught this somehow and have never listened to a rattle and broadcasting network um podcast before robert is here because robert writes professionally about mma he writes for 401mania.com and he has he took over when i ran screaming from the room um I took, over for, I took over for the late larry zonka he and then he took over for me and he has been doing the UFC fair, you and I did a tag you, you and I did a tag team thing for a little bit there. Yeah, I, I think I was I, I can't remember how it broke down. Like like you were doing the fight nights and I was doing the pay-per-views, but eventually look, it all became yeah, too much. I can tell you how it broke down because it's how most of the things we do together break down. Mm-hmm. You said I'm doing X and you do everything else. <laughs> that's kind of how that worked. Um coincidentally, that's how uh Robert and I ended up on the same MMA podcast. I wanted to do an MMA True. podcast because I got sick of writing for 411 and I'm like, I want to do other stuff. So I started an MMA podcast and opened the doors wide open to the rest of the 411 staff. Said, Hey, who else wants to do this? And Robert, um, initially, I don't think you were part of the, the first no. crew. The first crew was Sam Ricotti and Scott I, Kozowski. I wasn't even writing for 411 when you started that thing, if memory yeah. serves. Uh, yeah, the original, the original group was Samer to one extent or another, Scott Kajowski and Jeff Harris. And then over time, you and Pat would be frequent callers and then were kind of formally involved in the show. And after a couple of years of doing that, my interest in MMA waned. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. Plus, doing it on Sunday mornings was becoming a bear for my family. So Robert took that over and Robert eventually um took not only did he take over the podcast but he made it 401 mania exclusive it's no longer part of the rattling broadcasting network so robert in many ways is a uh amateur mma journalist and expert expert on the field my disdain for journalism as a general profession if any of you out there are journalists uh, don't take it personally you write professionally about it i do use whatever word you want but i'm going with journalist um, I can, in only the most academic of senses, be called a reporter. Yeah, so journalist, reporter. So Robert, uh, for all intents and purposes, is our Rattledge and Broadcasting Network MMA expert here. But he's I'm also... The, I'm the best you can afford. <laughs> but he's also my co-host on Damn You Hollywood. And, you know, he and I have been talking film and MMA in some degree or, or other for uh, almost a decade now. So oh, probably over a decade if we want to include the MMA side of things. Uh, so with that I feel said, really old. <laughs> yeah. So with that said, let's jump into so when I when when I saw that bruise by Halle Berry was coming out, I was like, oh, you know what? Let's get Robert to do this. And and he uh, thankfully agreed. And then, you know, we can hit I wanted to do Born a Champion when it came out. It was just one of those. I where, can't imagine why, but you did. Because it was there and it was something to talk about. Um, at that point, we were just starting to do a lot of like streaming movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. That actually when PVOD 
the very same day it went out. But all right, let's go back to your Bruce here. So um, I'll let you do the plot synopsis such as it is, but uh, there's no plot to that thing. <laughs> shut up. So Bruce, um, like I said, as it came out in 2020, it is the directorial debut of Catwoman star Halle Berry. You um, couldn't name me two other roles she's been in other than Catwoman and Swordfish this. and Gods and Monsters. Or she's Monsters in, Ball. Monsters Ball. I'm going to say, she's not in Gods and Monsters. <laughs> Monsters Ball. I always get those two. Okay. Yeah. I, idle Curiosity. Name yeah. one more. Uh, no, no one more Halle... Oh, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, I, I know it. It's um, Ghetto Superstar, that one. Uh, That's not helpful. Bumford. Blueford. Bain, I know it, and I'm and I'm giving myself credit for it. Um, I I know this one. Hang on, look at really? I, look look it up if you have to. But oh, she's storming the X Men. Duh. Um, you didn't name that. <laughs> Bullworth. There it is. I love Bullworth. Bullworth is fantastic. Look here. Here's the. I mean, why are you Why are you being an ass I, about this? Like I don't I'm know gonna, who the woman is. Because I'm gonna make a point. And you're before I can even get two words about this movie out, you have to make a point. Halle Berry's washed up as an actress, that career-wise, well placed in this conversation. So this is her directorial debut. She also stars in it from a screenplay by Michelle Rosenfarb. It also stars Shamir Anderson, Aiden Canto, uh, Sheila Adam, and Stephanie McKinley Henderson, and <laughs> playing the part of Ivan Drago, Valentina Shevchenko. Um, who legitimately busted up Halle Berry's ribs during the filming of this. Sure, she did. The film had its world premiere at the 2020 Toronto International Film Festival on September 12, 2020. And then, as I said, a limited theatrical release on November 17th before it went exclusive to Netflix on November 24th. Mixed reviews from critics. They praised Berry's commitment as a director and actor, but criticized the screenplay and inconsistent tone of the film. Um, however, despite all of that... Uh, the viewership that it generated on Netflix um, got her a multi-picture deal for them. So, I mean, whether whether or not it's good or deser or deserves any of this, it uh, it ended up being a boon for Halle Berry. She will be getting more directed features from her. All right, Robert, go ahead and tell us what Bruised is all about. Well, Bruised is all about the plight of the worker. In the mid-20s. Shut up. <laughs> uh, okay. Bruised follows Halle Berry's character. Her name is Jackie Justice. And really, I've got to just stop this thing right here. Of course you do. If that's the best name you can come up with for your main character, <laughs> mm -hmm. please try hard. Justice isn't even her nickname. Right. Like, that's, like that's, that's not her fighting nickname. You know what kills me about this is that I think it was William Bibiani of Critically Acclaimed had the same problem and almost like the same way. Like they got one sentence into the plot synopsis and he goes, and why? <laughs> and why is she Jackie Justice? Like, you know, that's that's not a num de plume that she takes. She just that's her real given last name. And it's like, but why? Yeah, that's really stupid. Like, You can fight under a false name or get promoters to promote you by your nickname instead of your given name. People do that all the time. That's a real thing. Nobody can tell you Mirko Krokop's actual last name. I mean, I can, but I'm an aberration in that particular respect. Right. It's like the fact that they just made like her driver's license, Jackie Justice. 
you you sound like a crappy Superman B-lister. Okay, move this along. Um, she is a former, in air quotes, MMA fighter who got a shot in the UFC and literally ran out of the cage. She had an anxiety attack in the middle of the fight and then hopped out of the cage. Yeah, literally ran away. Yeah, I think I, I would actually not to be pedantic about this and put on my mental health hat. She had essentially a panic attack. Yeah, and she has others throughout the film. It's a recurring issue for her. Mm -hmm. And I, when I say she ran away, this is not me saying she's afraid, but she literally ran out, climbed out of the cage, but she was mm -hmm. getting her butt kicked. Uh. In a moment that, had it been real, would have been memed into oblivion. Go on. Um, she is... Uh, she's a private maid for a wealthy family. She's living the hard life. She's drinking. She has a kid she never sees. She has a qu very unstable, borderline abusive relationship with the man she's staying with. Who's her, also her manager. Another fairly... Most realistic thing... One of the most realistic things in this movie... Yep. <laughs> That's a thing. Um, her life gets turned around a little bit in a couple of different ways. First of all, she gets dragged by, with her manager slash boyfriend to an underground illegal fighting ring uh, where she gets into a physical altercation with Gabby Garcia, that poor woman. Now, Gabby Garcia, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm really not bringing this up to try to be an ass or anything. I just want to make sure I'm talking about the right person. Mm -hmm. That is the trans fighter that went male no. to female? Nope. Oh, that's not her? Gabby Garcia is a... I'm mixing her up with you are. somebody Fallon. Yes, you're mixing her up with Fallon Fox. Fal okay, got it. Gabby Garcia is a... What's the polite way to say this? Um, biological female. Okay. She's just very large okay. and yeah. has done a lot of steroids and is very jacked. Yep. Okay. Moving on. But I couldn't remember if Ga and I didn't look it up before the podcast. I, I, I knew there had been at least one trans male to female fighter and I wasn't sure if been, that was it. There's been a couple now. Okay. And it still generates controversy. Well, they, on made a, they made a point of saying that. In they the did. Film, so that's what, that's what threw me off about it because, because Halle Berry's character Sid justice um, says, like that's got to be a man, and he's like, "No, nah, no pee pee on her," because that's the kind of level of dialogue we have with this movie. You ain't kidding. All right, so anyway, uh, yeah, Gabby it, Garcia beats the crap out of her. Gabby, Gar no, she beats the crap out of Gabby Garcia at she, the end. Yes, yes. there's a series of headbutts, but you know, full not, mount on the way there, she was getting her ass kicked. Of course, then she gets full mount, throws a bunch of headbutts, and then the film is all downhill from here. Um. She, while doing this, she catches the eye of the promoter of Invicta. Now, Invicta is a real fight organization run by someone who is not a scumbag. Well, aren't they owned by the UFC now? No, they're, I know they're just on Fight Pass. They were, they're not anymore. Oh my god, <laughs> are you serious? This, this is what happened when I stopped paying attention to the sport outside of a few pay per views. It is, <laughs> it really is. Uh, but that's a real fight promotion. Mm -hmm. And with a much more reputable, I shouldn't say not a scumbag, most promoters are scumbags, but a much more reputable promoter than the fictional version that is portrayed here. Yeah. Yeah, this comes across like a regional promotion run by like a guy that does fights in parking lots. And that's not the case with Invicta. Yeah, Invicta was, if you want the real story here, and I'll be brief, Invicta came into existence to fix women's MMA. Yeah. Prior to Invicta, they you would get female fighters on Elite XC uh, or other, you know, smaller. 
before Strike Force even. Mm-hmm. Like like you'd see them around. They never actually had weight classes. It was kind of show up with whatever you want. We only have uh they only had like three minute rounds, mm-hmm. which was stupid. It's stupid in boxing that women only box for two minutes. Like, yeah, it's just really sure. stupid. Uh, but it, it was just kind of a fundamentally broken uh, method of promoting female fighters. Imagine if like all the professional fighters were treated the way essentially the women's wrestling was treated in the WWE in like the yeah. 90s and early 2000s. It's, it's a joke. It's an afterthought more than anything else. Invicta came into existence and was like, okay, we're going to have a roster. We're going to have weight classes. They're going to be the accepted weight classes, no catch weights. We're going to fight five-minute rounds like everybody else, five rounds for championship fights, and we're, we're going to do this the way it's supposed to be done. And it's just, it is a feeder league for bigger promotions. That's yep. promote mostly what it is, but it serves its purpose in that respect, and some very, very talented fighters have come through that organization. All right, so yeah, oh, she's she's approached by this guy about, hey, come get it, come fight for me. Like, I don't really want to fight. Yeah, think about it because you're a loser. Well, he's trying to find a soft touch, a soft touch that he can put in, you know, and sell some and sell some tickets for for the character that Shevchenko plays. And he's like, okay, you you still your your name still has value. Um, and that comes but, up later. But you're on the downside of the uh, of your career. So why don't we get you in the ring with her? We'll give you a shot at the title. It'll it'll, re- it'll rehabilitate your name and reputation. You'll get a good payday out of it, and I'll get a fight I can sell tickets to. That's essentially the the sell. That is for a that is a, the next time he tries to sell her. Yeah, initially it's mm-hmm. just hey, come back and fight for me. I'll get you paid. Yeah. Uh, she then arrives at her house to realize her estranged mother is there with her son, who she has never seen, apart from giving birth to him. Okay, apparently his the, the biological father has died, is what's happened. And um, so he, so I guess a social worker of some variety drops, takes the kid from Miami to the grandmother, and the grandmother's like, nope, and brings her to, uh, and then brings her to Jackie. To Psycho, uh, psycho Jackie. Yeah. Uh. That joke didn't land. I was going for a Psycho Sid reference because you brought up Sid. I knew where you were going for, but I mean, if you insist. So then Halle Berry gets scissors. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) I needed to get one laugh out of you with a Psycho Sid story. Uh, she doesn't really want the kid, but the, her mother won't take him back. And, you know, and her mother is a drunk, drunk, drug addict, just, you know, the general, I uh, also general thought she was like running that. a whorehouse, like the kind that like Richard Pryor grew up in, but they, I, I feel like it was alluded to, but then they ran away from it, which is a big problem in this script overall. Well, but, we'll get to that. We'll get to yeah. that. Sir. But either uh, way, she's at the very least. A, a a drunk and a drug addict in a vil in a vil repute. Yeah. So the kid gets dropped off. She and the kid sort of bond. She decides to take up training again. She meets um, Bobby yeah. the the, 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 the Budokan or something like that. Um, uh, Budokan. Yeah. Which is a terrible joke, by the way. Like, I don't Bobby Budokan Barrow yeah. is her full name, played by Sheila Atim, who I've who is the. Who is the worst MMA trainer of all time? <laughs> she might be less useful than Joshua Fabia. All right, move move along. 
she starts retraining. The aforementioned promoter offers her a title shot as a potentially a quick path back to the UFC, but only if she dumps her ma- current manager and signs exclusively with him. This is another thing crappy promoters and managers will do all the time at lower levels of fight sports. Mm-hmm. She agrees. She and her boyfriend fight. They break up. Uh, she continues kind of bonding with her kid. She starts training. She slacks off in training. The promoter gets pissed and says, don't you understand? You're made of aluminum. You're here to be a can so my real star can get to the UFC. She has a panic attack, which results in her screaming at her son, who then runs and hides with his grandmother. So Jackie's mother then tells her, you're a worse parent than I was. Jackie then screams, but your boyfriends have repeatedly abused me. And she said, well, why didn't you? Let's call it what it is. I don't want to get the video demonetized. They don't like that word. Don't ask me. They don't. Fair point. Move on. Sexually assaulted. Sure. I just... Like, let's give power to the thing that they're trying to talk about here. And and I understand your point about we don't want to be demonetized. But boy, I'm getting sick of that. Um, I but, am not. I mean, look, if we want to talk about it, then we can. I'm not squeamish. No, I know. I understand. No, no, no. And I, I appreciate that you didn't run headlong into demonetization like some people do on this network. But um, I, I am What's funny. What's that to your lower right hand, Mark? <laughs> I am funny about a movie that takes this stuff seriously and then as reviewers we not we you and i but we as reviewers yeah, yeah. in general don't it is it, it's a tiptoeing okay. around tiptoeing around the language around this kind of stuff it bothers me too i mean it, yeah it and really i and does. i and i think it and i think it's an insult to the film there's plenty of the insult about the film naturally we don't need to do that to it go on so she's you know but all of your parade of boyfriends you know, sexually your assaulted me and she said, well, why didn't you tell me? I kept a gun under the bed for a reason. And she's like, I did tell you. And then she, there was a lot of back and forth of, you make up stories, but I was really sexually assaulted. Yes, but you make up stories. And Yeah, but you, way, lied about, you, 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 you lied about 18 things before that. How, was, <laughs> how am I supposed to keep track? Right. Well, um, you were drunk all the time, too. Yes, I was. Yeah, and then it's like your your brother, my uncle, also sexually assaulted me, and she was like, "You're a liar." And this goes back and forth. And in the most emotionally resonant and honest moment of this entire film, the grandmother, you know, she, Jackie goes to leave, and like I can't be here, and um, and and the and the mother goes, "That's fine, but you're gonna leave without without your son." And when she tries to take him, she was like, and if you don't leave without him, I'll call social services on you. And about 10 to 20 years now, social work flashed before my eyes <laughs> of everyone I've ever worked with. Go ahead. Uh, Halle Berry gets back to training. She falls somewhat in love with her trainer. You are not wrong, Pat. <laughs> A lot of people struggling with that name. Jackie said justice. Uh, so she falls in love with her trainer, like you do, because this movie really needed lesbianism. Well, lesbian sure. sex, if nothing else. But she's not ready for a committed relationship, and the most intelligent thing that this woman does in the entire stupid movie. <laughs> uh, Bobby then bails out, because of course she does. She's not actually there for the fight. So our primary corner for this is a guy who's had three lines of dialogue. <laughs> but he's in, like, everything, this actor. Yeah, look, he's I not think a knock as on that the character. <laughs> You're not wrong either. I, I feel like he's the watcher. He just r- walks into random sports picks and he's in everyone's corner. You're not wrong either about that. But <laughs> uh, so she gets into this fight with Valentina Shevchenko. 
and gets the crap beat out of her, but performs admirably enough to earn a cluckified split decision. <laughs> and boy, was that cluckified. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you. Sure. So she loses, but she uh, did just so darn well that she can claim a moral victory despite her pay being cut in half. Yep. And then she j- jumps on top of the cage and she says, yo, Adrian, I did it. Then you know, she heads out. She reconnects with her son. Her son finally starts talking. He hasn't spoken this entire movie. Yeah, he's Smart- been selectively mute this entire picture. Smartest thing you could do with a child actor in this case. <laughs> Does a lot of acting with his eyes, and he amazingly he he can be emotionally resonant and mute at the same time, and like vacant. Look, if he'd tried to talk, it would have been worse. Yeah, no, for sure. So, yeah, I respect the <laughs> I respect the realism of the clucky call. Not uh, some some dumb judge looking at that fight and going, you know what, three to two. For Jackie Justice. Did you happen to watch the uh, the cut scene of the judge mailing in the scorecard ahead of time that said Canelo 120 to 118 to 108? <sighs> yeah, yeah, I did. It made me... I was happy, but... Did know, you also it, happen to see we had a... Um, we had a. Uh, it was too realistic. A, an appearance to by Mario Peoples who, was, who had his, uh, his cane and his glasses. These are yes. MMA jokes, everybody. You mean Cecil Peoples, first Cecil Peoples, yes. Yeah. I, and... Sure. Look, any number of judges we could single out for that <laughs> stupidity. All right. Adelaide Bird, everybody. All so, right. Yeah. So it, yeah, she, at the end, her son starts talking again, signaling his acceptance of her as his mother. She has now claimed moral victory. She and Bobby start dating a bit more consistently. And all is right with the world, I suppose. Mark. All right. I like this movie <laughs> uh, as, as, a, as an urban drama. I like I like the parts that dealt with trauma, um, dealt with abuse, substance abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. I liked the parts that deal with uh, and trauma is is trauma and anxiety are all within the same grouping. Um, so try to I might be double speaking in some parts of this, but you know I like the fact that if you strip away the MMA parts of it, what we have is a woman who. Um, is traumatized uh, in childhood, seeks refuge in a in a violent sport, proceeds to have panic attacks, leads said sport, you know, dives right into an abusive relationship, is forced to contend with, you know, with the decisions of her past, and you know, and not the least of which is the child that she abandoned, and now having to figure out how to raise this child in this toxic environment, get her crap together. And, you know, underneath all of that is the one in a million shot to, you know, to finally get back to, you know, the top of the mountain for herself. She has to confront her mother uh, in all of this. She has to reconcile uh, her traumatic past. Those are the things I really liked about this movie. Um, Halle Halle Berry's performance for the first act of this drove me a little crazy she it's a lot of acting with a static face and her jaw her her mouth agape and her eyes slightly vacant which i'm guessing she was that's what she thinks people are when they have this you know this level of trauma going on and this level of substance abuse well i i'd like to blame the director for her poor acting but (laughs) i i i I think she went she went for what she i think perceives people might look like in those situations and i don't some maybe, but not not everybody. And 
as a dramatic choice, I was it was a little frustrating because I feel like it dragged the movie down. You see a lot of this. Yeah, the, the, for those of you listening on traditional audio format, like I said, eyes vacant, mouth agape, heard seemingly not breathing while the action is happening around her, and the action's not that great either. You know, the guy that they got to play the abusive boyfriend, I mean, he plays a scumbag abusive boyfriend well enough, but it's not like those scenes don't have enough going on in the subtext to make her staring vacantly at the camera all that interesting. So a bit of a struggle in the first act. When the kid shows up and she's and she, you know, clears out the alcohol from that point on, it's a it's a much better movie for me. Um, I have to give high praise to the real star of this thing, and that is uh Adrian Lennox as Angel McQueen, Jackie's mother. She is the best part about this movie for me. She is phenomenal. Her, first of all, that is like half the the uh grandmothers I've met in my history of working as a social worker, down to the exact mannerisms. She gives a line delivery that like made me feel like I was back in an actual situation that I witnessed. I, like, I am I, I imagined you watching some of her and Halle Berry yelling at each other and you went and you flashed back to when you were a baby napper in Brooklyn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yo, someone's baby about to get snatched is a real line that was said out loud with me around in the Bronx. Um but when she's when she's drunk and the kids there's the first time that Jackie and the kids show up on her doorstep. And the kid's just kind of watching the grandmother, and she's got like a martini glass, and she and she goes to make herself a drink. She's like, hey, "I'm about to have myself a party." I was like, oh, "Those are people I know. I know those people. You, you monster, you know." And then later on, that scene between her and Jackie as they're arguing about again, these are things that I've actually like observed. You know, you let a parade of men uh, come into my room and abuse me. And we're too drunk to if you knew about it, you did nothing, which is one level of awful. And if and if you didn't know, you were too drunk to be paying attention, which is another level of awful. Either way, you're awful. And the other person being an abject denial about it. And like, I hate this terminology, but this is where we are in the culture. Gaslighting the other person going, no, 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 no. This is all your thing. You make up stories and, you know, you need attention. That's why you say people molest you. God, I'm like, this is why I can't hate on this movie. Those are the things that felt very real to me, very rich, and and um, you know, and that I was keyed into. I will say this, and this is where I'm going to toss it over to Robert. I stopped watching this as an MMA film and just looked at it as an urban drama dealing with mental illness. And when I could appreciate it on that level, the movie spoke to me, and the other things of you know regarding the mma that these quibbles i could kind of forgive because i didn't care about them anymore um the final fight you know robert i'm, I'm gonna steal your thunder here you know you in the chat were like oh this we're, we're after all these years we're still chasing rocky uh that that final act where she fights shevchenko we were joking about it seemed like in the direction the direction for shevchenko was have you seen rocky four yeah just do ivan drago you know, and and she does a good job of it. She, you know, and I do like the fact that in the end, you know, they were respectful to each other and all of that. But Look, it's the that, that's another that's another deeply realistic thing about MMA. Sure, they can beat the crap out of each other. No, 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 and then she no, hands no. when it's over. That, but mostly the following. Mm -hmm. You start out in the fight promotion and you insult each other, right? 
and then you get into the fight and you insult each other and you hate each other. And then at the end, oh, it was such a one, a glo- such a wonderful fight, and it was an honor to share the cage with you. And here's the reality, people: one of those things is a lie. <laughs> uh, most of the time, one of those things is a lie. And that would have been interesting. Yep. Um, yeah. The the final fight. I have a real problem with. Give me ten seconds, and then right. and then go right into that. Thank God. The final, the final, the middle section of this movie of all the things I just talked about are are the strongest part and the reason to watch this. The my feeling about the final fight a little, it's a little too Rocky Four for me. Um, it's a you know or Rocky One depending on how you look at it. It's a little too. I don't know if hackneyed's the right word. I feel again. You're I feel like wrong. I feel like Halle Berry got a hold of the script, then sat down and watched watched the Rocky movies and went that that's what we're gonna do. Which look, there are only a hand, you know a dozen stories in the Naked Universe, and it's just a matter of how they're told. However, if you're telling your Rocky story and it's a little too close to how Rocky actually ends, it's hard to let that go and give it a pass. This feels like. Someone sitting in a room going, what if we did Rocky but MMA? And here's the thing. Up to that point, it's a fairly, I don't know if original is the right word, but it's a fairly differentiated enough story to have kept me interested. And then they go into literally the same old song and dance I've already seen, almost down to the same kind of shots they picked for Rocky. Which is a, which was a little frustrating. I'm like, I think the word I'm looking for is the final act, the final fight is a bit derivative of the same kind of genre movie. Well, not only that, but then the entire. I mean, I wouldn't even just say the final fight, but the entire ending of this movie is essentially a Rocky derivative. Mm-hmm. Because not only does she show up for the big fight and she loses, but it's by split decision. But she claims a moral victory. Then we move on to her son and her son who watched the fight with his grandmother. No, he Christmas. didn't. He, she, she he, he listened to it while she watched yeah, it. Then. And then passed out. And look, there was a robot there that was dressed up like Santa. <laughs> they lost all their money. In and, the it was Christmas, and it was Christmas. <laughs> yeah, sir. Uh, it's, it, it just was almost painful. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like pretty much. Look, I will respect the fact that as purely an urban drama, sure, there's something here. There's something to be said for Barry's performance and aspects of this. The writing in this movie is so bad. This is a badly written movie. The dialogue is mo- not all, mostly crap. Now, when you get Halle Berry and her mother screaming at each other, like that's the best. That's the best written parts of this in terms of dialogue. Uh, everything else is oof is not good uh with maybe the minor exception of her trying to get her kid into school and the the poor uh secretary there at the front office going he's not talking is he does he have some kind of special that, need that felt a little too real for me um hey real quick there's a movie called precious that came out in 2009 i'm that aware this movie was trying to do a lot better Without the MMA, obviously. Go on. Yeah, yeah. If you want just pure urban drama, yeah, Precious. Precious is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, but GI Jane's at least watchable. Pat. <laughs> Pat says this is a better movie if she goes through the police academy or Navy SEAL training. All right, he's you, not wrong. Please... Here's my. 
so I don't care for most of the dialogue. It's mostly not good. Mm-hmm. I think the structure of this movie is not good in that it's it's very basic, and that's not always a bad thing. But it's also too long. This thing is over two hours. And you could easily shave 20-ish minutes off of this. Yeah. Without a problem. I think I said 100 minutes does does the job just fine. Uh, and I don't disagree with that. Uh, here's my other issue with the last fight. And this is an issue I'm going to be having with the other two movies we're going to talk about. And I, I only realized this when I was watching this movie. I don't know why, but I did. No one has yet figured out how to properly choreograph an, a compelling example of jujitsu on screen. People, good fight choreographers will use elements of it. And as when it's used properly to enhance other disciplines that you're using, it works great. I mean, John Wick, uh, Keanu Reeves very famously uses bits of jujitsu in, in the John Wick series. And it works fine because it's meant to to complement the other stuff that he's doing, be it gunplay or knife play or what, what have you. Anytime they, anytime Hollywood choreographs jujitsu, my biggest gripe with it is everything works. <laughs> and that is not reality <laughs> at you know all. What, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking that like Sylvester Stallone in the Q and a for Rocky, for the director's cut of Rocky four that just came out last month, talked about how, the boxing in Rocky is clearly not real um, because if because boxing is not always that much fun to watch. True. Um, even when it's good boxing, it's not always the most you know appealing to the eyes. Uh, you have to be real. You have to be really into the minutia of boxing to to appreciate it. See Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather. Um, so he was like, so so when they're doing the choreography for the fight, you know, you have you have to remember this is a motion picture not a boxing documentary. You have to make it engaging for the fans and not everybody going is a fan of boxing. They, they went because of whatever the other no, things are. I'm and aware of that. And so, well, hang on the point that I was getting to just really quick. So like to take jujitsu or MMA, your point of your point is well taken that everything works because if you watch real MMA, where guys don't move positions. I mean, we, we, we used, I used to joke, and I think this irritated the shit out of you, so I don't mean to trigger you now, but I used to joke about George St. Pierre's fights where he would, <laughs> where he'd spend 25 minutes laying on the guy, not moving. Um, you know, Ben Askren, much of the same problem I had. And the thing of it is, Askren, is that- Askren and Bellator, that's a more legitimate comp complaint. Yeah. Um, With you know, George, you're just trolling. <laughs> But it's a lot, you know, it, it's not, they're winning the fight and they're doing what they're supposed to do, but they're not, but it's not the most engaging for people in that, in that atmosphere, let alone if you try to capture that on screen. So well, yeah, everything works. Here's my, here's where I have a bigger problem with it than I do with boxing. Mm -hmm. uh, the stuff in Rocky, like you said, is not great technical boxing, mm -hmm. but it's a, if you showed that to someone and then showed them a real boxing bout, mm -hmm. they would. There's things they could pick up on, right? It, it it's a reasonable facsimile, even if it is an exaggerated facsimile. Take someone who watches something like this and then have them watch a nogi grappling tournament, and they won't. They they like It's so wrong when it comes to the actual application of some of this stuff mm -hmm. that you you're actively undercutting what you're trying to represent. Yeah. 
Now, again, no one fights like Rocky because you'd get four fights into your career and be retired or dead. Uh Uh-huh. But there are people who do fight in that same general style. Sure. There's nobody gets the back. Nobody fighting anyone who knows anything gets the back that easily. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nobody's hand fighting is that poor if you know what you're doing. Um. I feel like they gave like, like the entire impetus for making Halle Berry's character a good grappler was so that Halle Berry wouldn't have to learn how to strike. <laughs> and I maintain my comment, Pat. <laughs> uh, I think they did that just to... Uh, she probably picked up bits of jujitsu from Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. And I imagine they did that so she wouldn't have to learn how to throw a decent punch in this movie. Yeah. It's it's just not great. And it's very clearly not... It's very clearly not her in some cases when she has to move like she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And in other cases, it's very clear that she's being walked step-by-step step through positions. When we talk about Born a Champion, there's a difference there, but I'll get to that in a second. Here's the other problem with this movie as a Rocky clone. And let's be clear, because of what they chose to do at the end, that's basically what this is. You took a downtrodden fighter, threw a bunch of stuff that life throws at you at her, and then you had a big fight for a title that she loses, but is still able to, through that, claim some kind of uh, moral victory. Here's the critical difference between Rocky and Jackie Justice. Rocky didn't believe in himself. Rocky thought he was worthless. And by standing toe to toe with the champion, he proved to himself that he was, you know, and also earning Adrian's love. Uh, that was a big part of it, too. Rocky then felt like he was a worthy human being and that he could go on living, essentially, yeah. because, it, because he was he was not truly living until that moment. He was just sort of walking aimlessly through life. Jackie People. Jackie doesn't have that moment really. She just it's you know, she's like she doesn't there's no good reason in the given in the movie that she overcame yeah. any of her trauma or anxiety. She has the one fight with her mother, which is another issue I had with this because suddenly the mother gets her crap together too. And it's like, no, 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 no. People don't yell at each other in the kitchen and then suddenly have a come to Jesus moment where everyone's collective trauma dissipates and now we're all functioning adults. Come on. Yeah, here's the problem with this movie and the problem with a lot of Rocky wannabes. Mm-hmm. People misunderstand Rocky. Mark, because of what you just said, I know you know the answer to this. What's the most important scene in Rocky? For the sake of time and an argument, just go ahead with your point. It's when he's sitting on his bed going, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. Like, I've, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to fight this guy who's the world champion. He's going to open my head up. I know I can't win. Right. What, what am I doing? Well, all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever done that against him. Right. This is closer to over the top than it is Rocky in the yes. sense of she's essentially fighting to get her kid back. Even though the fighting is utterly unrelated to everything. <laughs> At least over the top had him make a financial investment right. in the outcome. <laughs> yeah, look, Rocky's about 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 going the distance because that's how he'll know he's not just some bum from the neighborhood. Right. 
there's Rocky's about self worth. This is not what this is about. Yeah, th- this movie is has nothing to do with that, and it's it's what every other Rocky wannabe misses. Right. They Everyone miss- thinks it's about winning the fight or 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 going toe to toe with the champion, and, and missing the point of Rocky. Yeah. It and it's why you know. 50, 60 years later, every one of these movies is still chasing Rocky. They're just doing it badly. All right. Anything, like 10 words or less, anything else about Bruce? If not, we're going to move on. Uh, I don't know who was responsible for the dailies on this. I assume (laughs) Halle Berry. Thanks for bringing that up, because if you didn't, I think we'd both be kicking ourselves. There's sequences in this movie where the damage on her face changes from scene to scene. She spends a chunk of the first part with a giant bruise under her left eye because symbolism. The, the bruise symbolizes obviousness. Then the next scene, it's gone. And then the scene after, it's back with nothing happening in between. Like, it's not there when she tries to take her kid to the school. And the next scene, she's in the gym just drilling on a on a heavy bag and it's back. Yeah. Like, I don't know who was responsible for this. I assume the director, but boy, is that Bush League filmmaking? Yeah, I, I here here's the last thing, and then I'm I'm gonna go right into uh, our first plug of the evening, our first ad read. Um, the next, and she got like I said at the top of the show, she got a deal out of this to do multiple pictures for Netflix. Um, good, that, decent first try for this longtime Academy Award winning actress. But she definitely needs somebody holding her hand on the next project. By, bear in mind, by long time, Mark means she won that thing a long ass time ago. Well, she's also been acting for a very long time. She's over fifty, Mark. <laughs> I she should have been playing the grandmother. Shut up. <laughs> um, anyway, the point being, she needs a good like director of cinematography. She needs a good editor. She needs she needs a strong team behind her. I don't think she had a particularly strong team on this project. Oh, the, I, I think the next not... the next go around, get yourself a good start. You know, Starfleet bridge crew to help you along because I think I think she has a lot to give as a longtime Academy Award winning actress as a director. Um, but I feel like on the craft elements of putting together a decent movie it's easy to think you can do it when you've been acting in them for a hundred years it's not as easy as people think there's a yes. lot of detail as you're pointing out there's a lot of detail to film craft that you need technicians to help you with you know it's fine to be creative and to be empathetic with your actors you actually need someone to figure out like hey did the scene where i was bruised here make it into the scene where i need to be bruised yeah yeah uh I'm willing to give her a, not a full pass on this one, but at least throw the asterisk up there that this poor movie had a very troubled production. Mm-hmm. This thing began life starring, I want to say Olivia Wilde and had a, and as, as Pat mentioned earlier, like had Nick Cassavetes attached to direct. It was just, it did not begin life looking anything like it did at the end. And uh, I suppose the last thing, just if you want to know what one of the, like, one of the scumbag things that went on about around this movie. I have a very small scumbag oh, story to go with this. Thing yeah. Talk about. Please do it in 50 words. And I'll, I'll just tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. This movie originally cast an MMA fighter by the name of Kat Zingano. She previously fought for the bantamweight title in the UFC. Uh, she TKO'd Misha Tate. Like she's, she's also had some, some degree of tragedy in her life. Her husband committed suicide. And then not long after she destroyed both of her knees. Like she was on the shelf for a while. Mm-hmm. So, 
she was hired to play some, I, I forget what role, but some role in this movie. Well, the UFC then offered her a fight, as they are contractually obligated to do once every three to four months. She said, no, this conflicts with my shooting schedule. The UFC then cut her from the promotion because she was not acquiescing to their demands. The, promo- uh, the production then fired her from her job because they were not going to feature non-UFC fighters. Oof. Uh, and by the way, just incidentally, I'm just going to throw this out there. Boy, how desperate is the UFC to be attached to someone with relevance? Because they gave this film all the footage rights. Like, the entire opening bit when you get, like, the, the history of women's fight, of female fighting, you're seeing UFC footage. And I guarantee you, they only went along because I believe Halley's repped by Endeavor. Or WME, which now owns the UFC. I am really surprised they didn't, and maybe because of the time she was trying to have a baby when this went into principal photography, but I'm really surprised they didn't try to get Ronda Rousey in this, considering the woman was trying to be an actress. Even if they, first of all, even if they tried, mm-hmm. like you said, she's she's kind of eschewed the spotlight at this point in her life, and mm-hmm. you know, whatever, be, you know, go be a decent person. Like I, I don't care. I, I I wish her and her husband nothing but the best, raising their new child. So God bless. But uh, let's also be real with what they were with what with the check that Halle Berry was drawing for herself. They couldn't afford Rhonda. All right, um, we're going to move on to the next film, but before we do, uh, that review of Halle Berry's Bruise, brought to you by Netflix, was actually brought to you by Grammarly. For you listeners of Triple, for you listeners of Triple Feature on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network on W2M, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Um, uh, Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's grammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. Our next movie on the docket is Born a Champion, a 2021 American martial arts drama directed by Alex uh, Rana Ravello. Written by Sean Patrick Flannery. It stars Flannery, Dennis Quaid, Katrina Bowden. Um, it also features Edson Barboza and special appearances by Henzo Gracie and Mickey Gall. Uh, this was described as a love letter to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It came it's, out January. It's important, that, it's important that you remember that phrase when you watch <laughs> this movie. Uh, it came out in theaters at a limited theatrical run January 22nd, but it was also available PVOD the same day. It is currently on Hulu for those of you who have such things. All right. So real quick, Robert, what happens in this movie? Well, this movie is essentially propaganda for the jujitsu community. It, and I have an issue with that, but, uh, at least this one comes from a place of honesty as Sean Patrick Flannery has been a jujitsu practitioner for a long time. Uh, he actually has studied under Henzo Gracie. That's why Henzo f- shows up in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a, th- uh, and get speaking lines because he wants <laughs> to help his old coach out. Uh, 
So this movie is set in the, it starts in like the early or the mid nineties and then goes to 2001 is the time frame for most of our action here. Our framing device is a documentary being made. So the story is largely told about Sean Patrick Flannery's character, whose name escapes me now that I think about it. It is Mickey Keller, Kelly, Mickey Kelly. Mickey, yes. So we follow him. He was, uh, based on the timeline, one of the original, would have been one of the very first like students of the Gracie Academy that originally opened in Southern California. And we get some stories about him as a marauding badass through the urban wasteland of Southern California for a bit. Before he's, uh, and we see some of the characters that he meets and interacts with, um, the mechanic that he knows, uh, who does a lot of the narration for us here, who's uh, somewhat affectionately known as Taco. Uh, he meets his future wife on a plane flight to Abu Dhabi, where he has been contracted by one of the sheikhs to teach jujitsu to his son and some of their friends as a novelty because he's very rich and can afford to do so. While there, he runs afoul of a Greek fur magnet. Uh, again, he falls in love with this woman. They go back to the United States together. They wind up getting married. Uh, he's after the, after the first handful of UFC events, he then is contracted about a one night tournament taking place in the deserts of Abu Dhabi. He goes, he fights, he wins the first two matches, but in his final fight, he meets Edson Barboza fighting at welterweight, which is hilarious because Edson Barboza at this point fights at featherweight. Probably walks around at welterweight. And while bowing to show respect, the godless heathen Luta Livre scumbag throws a flying knee, damages our our vaunted jujitsu practice. him one eye in one eye like a pirate. And beats him up and gets uh, an eventual stoppage. Yeah, he winds up blind in his left eye. Yes, and Katrina Bowden does a great job of playing every woman in every single one of these movies. I think you're sexy as a fighter, but please don't fight anymore. Oh my God, you're fighting. I hate you. Why would you do this to us? The entire movie until she is mercifully killed in a car accident. Can I just say, when she goes, I wasn't even sure I liked you teaching private classes. <laughs> I wanted to punch her in the face. <laughs> I was looking at my phone when that happened, and in the, in the, and then I mi I missed the detail, and I and I wasn't even sure it was her. I had to look up who, what her character name was, and I actually acted Google. Does Layla die in Born a Champion? Because he says something about when, when he goes to travel again. He says something to the son about like and make sure you like follow. I I guess he was talking about the grandmother or maybe the mother in spirit, but he says a line referencing her, and I'm like, I thought she just died in the previous scene. In any case. <laughs> yeah, she like, did. He was talking about the grandmother who's in the okay. doorway. That was supposed to be an emotionally resonant. One of like, us has to pay attention to these things. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to let you go back to your plot synopsis, but it's so funny because, like, she dies basically off screen. Like, you, like, she's. This did not, this movie did not have the budget for a car crash. No. And so basically, they ADR'd a car crash from off screen, and then she's dead, and then they just move on with the movie. And I, and it, and I almost feel like it was a bit of script doctoring. They were like, we need to get this fucking character out of there. Like, <laughs> we need to do something with her. And it's like, we'll just kill her in a car accident off screen. Fine. Good. That's, that, <laughs> that's how, uh, like, Aside from the fact that she again she plays every like terrible Adrian esque woman that comes that like can they just write women differently in these things? I feel like the only time I've ever seen women operate differently that are that are dealing with men in combat sports was Kingdom. 
where at least all the women there were <laughs> equally uh, terrible. <laughs> well, they at least weren't trying to drag the men out of mixed martial arts that they got involved with them in mar mixed martial arts in the first place, if I remember correctly. Anyway, yeah, go on. Partially. So as mentioned, uh, his wife winds. So he winds up blind in one eye. He starts. He has lost the will to go on. Don't you understand? His warrior spirit has been crushed. So he starts teach. He starts doing um, like janitorial services at a karate school and teaching private less private classes after hours over there. Um, he runs afoul of the moron teaching karate there. Mm -hmm. Who is essentially Johnny from the Karate Kid with like less charisma? You ain't kidding. <laughs> uh, so he does what everyone does in that circumstance and schools him. Around this time, uh, the video recording of the uh, of his fight with um, Edson Barboza's character starts popping up on a little thing called the internet, which has begun gaining popularity. Remember, we're set in the nineties. Thankfully, less time, less time dated references than the Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. <laughs> I, I do genuinely want to praise this movie. If there's one thing it gets right, it is how to appropriately set a movie in a different time, even when, you know, only 30 years ago, give or take. Right. Captain Marvel doesn't fall out of the sky into a blockbuster in this one. There's not a radio shack and she doesn't hand someone a beeper. <laughs> um, anyway, this... Uh, no one this, runs across the screen yelling, that's so Raven. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Uh, this. Uh, so this fight, this video starts making its rounds on the internet, and the internet being what it was, even then, and MMA fans being what they were, especially then. How dare this reprobate cheap shot someone? <laughs> the referee said, fight, dickheads. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> so... A scumbag from a scumbag manager tries to get a somewhat scummy promoter to do a rematch between these two. Played I can by find Dennis Quaid, by the way. I'll get to Dennis Quaid in a second. Because <laughs> I have a theory about his involvement in this film. <laughs> he was shooting draft day at the same time and they and they didn't bother to change costumes. No, just give me a second. I'll get to it. Sure. Uh so they agree now Dennis Quaid in this is playing the promoter who is a loose Dana White analog. Mm -hmm. he gets to testify before Congress. He get one of the downfalls of this movie. It tries to be a somewhat accurate history of mixed martial arts in the United States. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's a mistake. Um, <laughs> he, he get, he decides after viewing this fight a couple of times that he wants a real doctor, not a crooked doctor to examine Kelly and examine Mickey before the fight. The doctor does so, and it turns out he's blind in his left eye, which we already knew. And if you're blind in one eye, you can't fight. Oh, you know, that is horribly undercut by the, by the story of Michael Bisping, by the way. I'm just throwing it out there. Who spent the back half of his career fighting one-eyed and won the UFC middleweight title with one eye. In fact, there's an art. I'm not entirely sure if he did it literally with one eye or if he had the eye surgically removed after he retired, but either way. Uh, so the fight gets called off and Kelly becomes more depressed. But around this time, the one of the kids that he taught jujitsu to in Dubai has become old enough to now spend some of his father's hard-earned oil money and slave labor and decides to set stage a rematch just for them with, you know, a small number of people and no recordings. And this will be just for us. 
given the hefty payout involved, Mickey agrees. So he flies to Dubai with some of his training buddies and gets back and is set to fight again. Right about this time, Dennis Quaid walks up to him in the locker room and dumps exposition on all of us. That was utterly unnecessary. He then does, uh, Dan, uh, Dennis Quaid then changes his personal bet to be from Edson Barboza to on Sean Patrick Flannery. Flannery makes a bet with that same Greek fur magnet uh, for a hefty chunk of change. A million dollars. Which is a lot now and was even more 30 years ago. Inflation will do that to you. Uh, he... Uh, sorry, it would have been 20 years because that was deliberately set in 2001. So the fight goes along. He fights Edson Barboza. He gets the crap kicked out of him. He gets things to the ground. He does a pretty good job. He nearly gets the finish. They fight, uh, But in the course of, I think, the third round, might have been the fourth, he takes another series of knees, and now he's blind in both eyes and wishes to fight like the ultimate warrior in WCW. <laughs> All right. I was going with Jake Robertson and um, the model Rick Martel. But no, no, no. On. This was not. Look, if you wanted to do like those stupid blindfold matches, there's a better one that features John Cena, where he tries to get the crowd to point him at. I forget who it was. Mm-hmm. And this was at a time when enough people disliked John Cena that he gets mixed results whenever he points at a corner. <laughs> well, it's funny. They actually kind of do that in the movie because um... his his cornermen have to direct him via audio cues but they can't say left or right lest the fight doctor right so it's just what's the kayla right or something and something his dead wife is one direction his son's the other yeah and he goes through with this he's able to get the he's able to get things back to the ground again he gets the back and he chokes edson barboza into unconsciousness he wins the million dollars but this the trauma he has suffered puts him into a bad medical state he is rumored to be dead but a lot, but no, Some he is people not. Believe that he is dead, but then, but and if you make him angry, sorry, go on. That's the Hulk. Yes, it is. <laughs> but we could have used the sad walking away music from the Hulk at some point in this. As he walks home from Dubai, I don't know. As he, look, as he walks <laughs> down, with, as he walks down with his stick, like just open up the gym. Anyway, he's now he's still alive. And again, rumors of his death are greatly exaggerated. He's still teaching jujitsu at this um, MMA gym, and now he started to train his son who tapes up his fingers like a moron. You tape your fingers if they've been damaged. You ain't Travis Stevens. You're nine years old. <laughs> okay. Well, it was a very nice dramatic moment. I don't have a lot to say about this movie. Um, as a love letter to jujitsu and as basically an, like an, almost an indie film, I think it was distributed by Lionsgate. Look, this uh, this it, was basically Red Belt, but with a more, but with a more like upbeat uh, tenor to it. Look, I can appreciate the passion for which it was with which it was made, yeah. um, and I and, think that's like the big selling point of this movie. It, it's extremely niche. Like Bruce, you could watch as a gen as a general audience member, um, in, and and sort of appreciate it in in a very general way. <clears throat> I don't see anyone watching Born a Champion unless you're an MMA fan or you're doing a podcast like this one. You don't this need. Was, this was like the even, nichest of niche movies. I don't even think MMA fans are going to be all that satisfied with this thing, apart from a handful of you know people mm-hmm. showing up. Uh, this is much more about jujitsu. Again, I, I mentioned Red Belt for a reason. Mm. 
because it, it kind of comes from the same place. David Mamet made Red Belt as his love letter to jujitsu. Mm-hmm. This is Sean Patrick Flannery's. Uh, and as such, sadly, we this movie works better if you're in like this perfect spot of informed ignorance where you know a bit about MMA and a bit about jujitsu. You know what? And it felt you like buy into the hagiography. It felt like to me like somebody had seen The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke and was like, let's do that, but with MMA and missed everything that was the point of The Wrestler. If, if that was part of the point, mm-hmm. failed on every level. Yeah. On every well, level. I, I think that everyone's doing their level best in terms of performance, but the performances, I think, are mostly very flat and very static and stayed. I think that this movie... Sean Patrick Flannery, that's his name, right? Um, yeah, yeah, Sean Patrick Flannery does an admirable job of trying to take what he assumes is going to be a general audience by the hand and walk them through the minutia of jujitsu in the early, yeah, they, you know, anarchic days of MMA. And that's that, and that's making an assumption that general audience will come to flock to this thing. So if you have even like my level of dirty casualness. When it comes to the sport, I mean, I have at least been watching it in just some capacity or another and talking with the likes of this one, you know, for a- as long. Um, it gets, a, I'm going to use the word boring and not boring in the, you know, like I was disinterested, but I mean, film film should be dynamic. You know, there, there should be things happening on screen that capture your interest and bring you along the plot. And this movie is sadly missing that this they they went with it as a narrative device. This is a documentary, which they, you know, they they essentially they go to some bits of narration or they go to those, you know, um they go to the shots of them talking to the documentarian, and then but they would go back to like the real life of the movie. And the problem is the whole thing feels like a documentary. It just feels like people telling you about the early dog dog days of of mixed martial arts and telling you it it feels like somebody like if you've ever been cornered and and at work you go into work and somebody wants to tell you about this really this thing that they're really passionate about that you do not care about and then they corner you at work and they just launch into an explanation and you're like i'm getting about a third of this and i don't really want to be here anymore please shut up every tuesday that's this whole movie please say every tuesday Like that was a knock against me, but okay. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> fuck Mark. Are you talking about the films that we review? Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's I have to listen to you try and expound the virtues of the urban drama. Okay, <laughs> try getting out of your shell once in a while. Um, anyway, my, my shell being... is my shell is perfectly fine. <laughs> I am a turtle. Um, the, po- the point being, just so we can move this along and get to the last movie, which is infinitely more interesting to talk about. Yeah, it's 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 a very flat movie. Some parts that are supposed to be dramatic um, for the audience don't really work and fall flat. And part of its performance, part of it's the writing. It just um, if it, it, it feels like someone's first crack at a big name feature, but they don't quite know what they're doing in film. Um, and 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 it's weird because we just had this conversation about Bruised, but Bruised felt more competent than Born a Champion. Born a Champion, again, feels like somebody tried to shoot a movie in their backyard about jujitsu. Bruised, the at only least... thing that works about it 
is that you do this is the one shining element of this movie it really does feel like these people involved are really passionate about this super nerdy thing go ahead bruised has at least a narrative direction mm -hmm. and born a champion lacks that and it's a it's a real problem yeah um look sean patrick flannery does a decent acting job and as I mentioned, he's been training jujitsu for quite some time now. And consequently, I, I say like, like they chose to do a fight scene that you can't see. He goes into a bathroom to mess somebody up to, to you know, because he the the girl that will be eventually become his wife uh, is essentially being <laughs> being forced into sex slavery by these uh, uh, ne'er-do-well Arabs. And he comes to save her as the white knight, quite literally. And the way that he does it is the bodyguard goes into a bathroom. He goes in there, messes him up, comes out and says, your bodyguard's not coming to save you. I'm leaving with the girl, which also wouldn't have worked had he then not been saved by his buddy, who is the Sheik. But that's besides Shake. the point. It's Shake. properly pronounced Shakes. By his buddy. who is I... look, um, so... look, look, we can blame Vince McMahon for generations of people not knowing how to pronounce that word properly. It would have been nice to have seen the fight in the bathroom is my point. Sure, why not? You know, we're, considering we're a good 20 minutes into the film and, and nothing has happened. Because the first five not to ten really. minutes of this thing is them is them cooing at each other on a plane. And then and then there's a conversation at a dinner table with the shake. And then and, and then he goes off screen to fight somebody. Then he comes back and tells us about it. It's like, could we... It, film is a visual medium here, people. Show some shit. Don't just talk about it. Look, I wanted to say... At least I know Sean Patrick Flannery is a competent grappler. So when he's going through some of this stuff, it's really him doing it. And I know mm -hmm. that he at least one of the big differences between this and how Halle Berry's grappling was presented in Bruised, he struggles at times with what he's trying to do. Yeah. He he tries to get the back, and Edson Barboza fights the hooks. He tries to go for an arm bar, and the guy doesn't just grab his own wrist and go desperately what do i do he pulls his arm free he steps over the head he goes for a triangle choke but he can't hook the leg like these are little things that matter a great deal about jujitsu i have to talk about this really for one second because if i don't i'm gonna be mad that we had this whole conversation and i forgot this because it was the one part of the movie that made me crack up and like like gave me like like actual enjoyment of this movie so early on in the movie he's doing a demonstration for the for the kids taking karate lessons and He's just sort of explaining, you know, the things you do as a gentleman fighter and the things you don't do. And one of the things he says is, you know, you can trap the arm so they can't tap, but you don't want to do that. Don't be a jerk. This is supposed to be a gentleman's competition. Um, and then later on, because he's fighting a video game boss um, and and this was set up earlier, sort of a Chekhov's gun. He actually does that to Edson Barboza and... <laughs> And because they they don't want the audience to miss this detail, one of the guys goes, oh, my God, he's trapping his arms. And the other coach goes, yeah, fuck this guy. I, I started to cry laughing. I, that got me hard. One of the other most accurate things about especially the Gracies in Jiu-Jitsu, they give you a laundry list of their code of conduct. And then at the first sign of things going sideways, you know, like the there's a famous story that you will not hear told by anyone who subscribes to the Gracie hagiography. Hey when they were doing the Gracie challenge, trying to you know get jujitsu over as something that you should pay attention to, and they were, you know, not quite dojo storming, but if you're not familiar with the Gracie challenge, they lived in Southern California, and they issued an open challenge to anyone in the area, come by, get into it, and fight with us. No rules, whatever you want to do. 
and we'll let you fight and we'll see who's better. And this was one of the ways that they famously started gaining traction for jujitsu. They'd have people come in and they'd take these poor fools to the ground because they don't know what they're doing. Relatively easily get them to submit. Long mythology around this. Well, there's one guy that you won't hear talked about very much. There was a Japanese, I believe it was Japanese, catch wrestler who took them up on this and proceeded to, I forget which Gracie he fought, but he beat him. And as he's leaving the dojo, he is then ambushed by two of the other Gracies who beat him with bats. <laughs> like the, the, the ridiculous hagiography of jujitsu as an art form annoys me greatly. Like here's another thing, just if you're interested, you know why you may not know this Mark, but if you go back in time, there was the, uh, you might've heard people coming out of Brazil who were referred to as Luta Livre fighters. Luta Livre was a offshoot essentially of jujitsu that incorporated a bit more striking that was developed by the poor kids because the grace, one of the ways the Gracies would gatekeep jujitsu was say you had to train in the gi. And if you had to train in the gi, also true. That is very true. Well, but Pat said, I feel like we're doing a poor job of explaining this to the audience. Yeah, okay. So, so Pat remember also, when we used to have yeah, a yeah. podcast. So Pat also mentions the Gracies declined a few challenges, including one from Benny the Jet Urquidez, because Benny cross-trained in addition to his karate and kickboxing uh, with Gokor and Gene, Gene being Gene LaBelle. The guy knew how to handle himself. They were kind of selective about who they chose to do their recordings against. <laughs> Um, but Luta Livre was developed by the poor because the Gracies didn't want to train with any of the poor kids. The Gracies were weebs. If you don't know the story of how Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu started, um, I forget the name of the gentleman from Japan who took Japanese Judo and Jiu-Jitsu around the world back in the like 20s. And when he got to Brazil, the Gracies were hosting him because the Gracies were wealthy Brazilians who fetishized Japan and the East. They were weebs. And uh, Elio Gracie, to his eternal credit, you know, developed Brazilian jiu-jitsu as an offshoot of judo and you know, changed the martial arts landscape. I'm not taking that away from him, but you know, we get into the hagiography. And they didn't want to train with the poor kids, so if you wanted to train with them, you had to train in the gi. And if you couldn't afford the expensive gi that exists for one purpose in the slum, trying to come out of the slums of Brazil, you're just going to figure it out on your own. And that's where Luta Livre comes from. So naturally, in this movie, our Brazilian jiu-jitsu trained gentleman wearing a gi fighting a Luta Livre fighter is cheap shot by said Luta Livre fighter because, oh, those dirty, poor people from, from the slums of Brazil. Um, this is my big gripe with the movie. Uh, in addition to the craft issues of it just being a little bit unfocused, not terribly interesting, and not really well written. Like There's highs and lows that come in the most random of places. Uh, it, it buys into that hagiography way, way, way too much. Of course, our somewhat douchey karate instructor gets his ass handed to him by our protagonist and then decides that this, even this brief contact with the soul-altering art of jiu-jitsu makes him reconsider his life and turn it around and sign up for classes. And the one thing I will say positive about this movie, Roy Wilson, who plays Terry Pittman, Give some great line readings in this. He's fun to listen to. Okay, last thing I want to say, because I mentioned this earlier, and I have to bring it up or I'll you know, have not fired the Chekhov's gun. I have a theory about Dennis Quaid in this movie. And it is as follows. He did this movie 
as his audition role to play Vince McMahon in a biopic. <laughs> I'll go along with that. I mean, and, and I say that in the following way, not just that he's playing a promoter. Look at his hair. Listen to his voice. He does the Vince growl a bunch of times. And there's some sequences, especially when he's, especially like that locker room pep talk he gives to Kelly about, you know, thank you for bringing back my dead son from Iraq, which uh, bear in mind, this is set before 9-11. So we're talking desert storm here. <laughs> uh, there's sequences in that when he looks just like young Vince, younger yeah. Vince. Like, this is this guy going, hey, if you want someone, to, I would love to play Vince McMahon in an, as, I, as he's a fascinating character, and he is. If I could delve into the psychology of what makes this guy tick, I'm the guy to play him. And to be fair, I think if, if that's mostly what he's going for, he knocks it out of the park. If they ever do a biopic about Vince, hire Dennis Quaid. I think one's in production. I know there's a Chris Hemsworth Hulk Hogan movie. I believe that's coming to Netflix, which, by the way, I cannot wait for. I'm sure uh, you can't. We will be, we being the Rattle of Broadcast Network, will be absolutely reviewing that when that when that uh, becomes that a doesn't, thing. That doesn't work for me, brother. Yeah, I, I understand <laughs> that you may not be part of the royal we in that particular instance. but no, That's just me aping Hulk Hogan. Of course, I'll review it with you. Okay. I don't know. Two, 20 minutes ago, you were lamenting your lot in life having to talk to me on a regular basis. I was making a joke. You know I love talking to you. Okay, turtle. Um, so, um, look, you can't, not just you, no mm -hmm. one can say, you ever had one of those times when you come into work and somebody <laughs> then starts talking to you about the super specific thing that they're really into without the guy you're talking to going only every time I see you? <laughs> like, that's just how that's going to go. So, I wanted to mention this before with Bruce, but I went with the Grammarly one instead. Hey, I, I know you're not a huge fan of the urban music experience, but. I actually enjoyed a lot of the uh, hip-hop and soul that's featured in Bruised. And if you're like me and you like the hip-hop and soul that was featured in Bruised, directed by Academy Award winner Halle Berry. Um, did, not, you... did not win her Oscar for directing, <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, this was her debut. Of course not. Not time travel, man. Yeah, and ben, look. And we, ben oh, Affleck... my God, let me do the 30-day trial thing for yeah. Amazon. And Ben Affleck spent decades touting himself as an Academy Award winner which he won for writing in a script heavily doctored by the late William Goldman. I'm just saying. We're giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. You, we are, and you, listener, viewer, should take us up on it. The link is getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, it's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network to check out all the great music that was featured in Bruised and some that isn't. You could go ahead and check out I imagine all... most of the 70 million songs were not featured. <laughs> all the 70 million songs that are currently on that service will be there to stream for a month. If you like it, you keep it. You pay the monthly fee. It is comparable to its um, competition in Spotify and Apple Music. If not, you can cancel it. No fuss, no muss, no pains in the butt. It's a great service. We use it all the time on the Metal Hammer of Doom. Um, if you're into podcasts you uh ours are on there uh, uh many other podcasts are on amazon music and you can use your alexa devices to play those things all right you so have the, to say uh, it that way so yours doesn't turn on <laughs> i was like i was like a um get amazonmusic.com slash w2m network again it's get amazonmusic.com slash w2m network to download to uh trial a free 
trial of Amazon Music Unlimited. All right. If you and go I... with the unlimited option, you can find us there as well as we are podcast. Our podcast is, in fact, found there. So if you'd like to try that, feel free to do so. All right. Last up is Warrior, which Woo-hoo. came out in 2011. And uh, this was a this was fun. I actually got to see a screener of this with the cl- with my jujitsu class, Highlander Jiu-Jitsu in South Tampa, uh, when that was a thing that existed. Uh, we all went. We were all invited um, to see this before it came out in theaters. Uh, this was a sports drama film directed by Gavin O'Connor, uh, written by O'Connor, Cliff Dorfman, and Anthony Tambakis. It stars Tom Hardy. Uh, I was born in the darkness, Batman fame. Well, and Joel, Ed- <laughs> well, look, you ain't you ain't Robert Cooper. Don't try. Uh, no, I am not. Uh, and Joel Edgerton, uh, who, who I just realized today plays Owen Lars in the prequels in the Star Wars prequel movies. How uh, are you just now realizing this? I didn't pay that close attention. Uh, it also stars Nick Nolte, Jennifer Morrison, and Frank Grillo, who was in everything that involves mixed martial arts, apparently. Not also, everything, but a lot. <laughs> Look, he wasn't in either of the other two movies we just discussed, but yes, Grillo is a... I feel like he was and just was cut. Um, no, but yeah. <laughs> Look, Grillo's just a big fan of combat sports in general. In fact, if you haven't seen his um, Fight World documentary series on Netflix, it's worth a watch. Um. He was also best known for people who don't follow MMA. He was best known for his part as Crossbow, um, Crossbones in the Captain America movie. No, no, no. Crossbow, the eternal nemesis of Hawkeye. <laughs> and finally, he was in a movie we reviewed earlier this year on Hulu that went straight to Hulu called Boss Level, which was a lot we, of fun. We did have a lot. Of, that was a that movie was more entertaining than it had any right to be. Um, it was theatrically released September 9th, 2011 by Lionsgate. Though not commercially successful, the film received positive reviews from critics with Nolte receiving an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor, which, which he, he absolutely deserved. 100%. 100%. His All right. performances were remarkable. So tell us about this movie, Robert. So Warrior predominantly follows a pair of brothers, played by Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. Um, Tom Hardy is... Tommy <laughs> and I can't remember Joel's character's name. Joel Edgerton plays Brendan. Brendan, that was it. Brendan Conlon. Uh we follow these two brothers. Tommy just comes back from deployment to the Iraq war and reunites with his estranged father, who is a recovering alcoholic. Uh Brendan is a science teacher, science or math, I believe science, at a high school, and because his family's a little bit underwater on their house he moonlights as a fighter on uh crappy smoke shows basically to try and help make ends meet as his wife is a waitress and they've got a couple of kids uh his wife is not happy about this brendan had previously fought all the way to the ufc level and just took apparently at least one one hellacious beating too many and decided to call it a career but as financial necessity becomes a more more of a thing, he started getting back into fighting. Uh, Tommy starts kind of kicking around gyms looking to fight because he's still dealing with trauma from his time in Iraq. And he's also we're going to find out needing money fast, quick, fast, in a hurry because he's supporting. And I can't remember what the detail on this was. He's supporting somebody and that's what they want the money for. He's financially supporting uh, the widow of his best friend who was killed in Iraq. Yeah, and he's trying to help them out. Uh, they come into conflict. Uh, they come into conflict as they both start in on uh, 
a wealthy one night, not one night, but a wealthy tournament uh, called Sparta because no one in this sport is creative. <laughs> I say that not as a shot at the writers, but because that's a real thing that would happen. Yeah. Um, Tommy gets into this tournament on the back of a viral training video where he beats the crap out of a top ranked middleweight uh, in a sparring session. Brendan gets in because one of the guys training for it is trained by Frank Grillo, who is his coach and tears his knee up training. Just one of those unfortunate accidents. And Brendan says, Hey, you know, you could maybe get me in there instead if they need a late notice replacement, the promoter goes for it. So we converge on New Jersey for this particular tournament. Both men make it to the finals because of course they do. Okay. So along the way they have along the way, Kurt yeah. Angle, who is doing a Fedor uh, equivalent, and then Anthony Rumble Johnson playing Anthony Rumble Johnson. Also featured Nate Marquardt playing himself and uh, Han Carnero. All of, again, Kurt Angle, not so much, but the other three all fought in the UFC. Uh, some of them quite long and some of them quite successfully. Uh, none of them are with them at the moment. I have to double check Rumble. I'm pretty sure not. Uh, Rumble's been in and out. I think he, he, he had... oh, he was. He had some horrible medical issue actually recently that mm -hmm. derailed his uh, his comeback. But anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, they get to the finals now. For Tommy, this is not a terribly difficult task. He is a bulldozer and steamrolls <laughs> everyone in front of him inside of the first round. Brendan, being a jujitsu practitioner primarily, gets the crap beat out of him, but is <laughs> inevitably able to. Lock up submission, including the big upset of our Fedor analog. The brothers meet in the um, along the way. There's a uh, fairly ugly confrontation between Tommy and his father. His father falls off the wagon. Okay, so real quick, it's just in terms of plot. Nick Nolte is playing a recovered drunk. At some point in the lives of this family, uh, uh, Brendan and Dad went one way. Brendan was 16 at the time. No, Brendan and stayed. Tommy and the mother. I said left. Brendan and the dad went one way, yeah. and. Uh, mom and Tommy went the other. They left what was apparently a, an abusive relationship. Yep. Um, and this is caused then. Mo then mom got sick and died, and Tommy didn't bother to tell anyone about it. And then Tommy went in the Marine Corps. This is the centerpiece consternation of this family. Yeah. So Nick Nolte falls off the wagon a little bit. Our brothers have a moonlight walk on the beach, much like Matt, much like Matt Hughes and Dana White, so many years ago. <laughs> Not a joke. True story. Uh, they have a brief confrontation about family and the nature thereof. And Tom Hardy, that's I love that scene. It's not my favorite scene in the movie, but I love that scene. It is a great, it is an extremely well acted scene. I think like, I said in the chat earlier that comes right off a of stage play. It is like perfectly acted. Uh, Brendan tries to reach out to his brother. Like, you know, I've got kids and I, I'm married. I'm your family. You're and, in the core. And yeah, that's, that's Tommy's <laughs> response. Oh, you were in the core? No, I wasn't in the core. Well, no, I'm brother, your brother. I'm my, your brother. He's like, all oh, my brothers were in the core. My core. brothers were in the core. <laughs> it's a it's a great line. Ta I I I want to let so what you are we doing out, So what are we doing out here looking at pictures and wallets? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can forgive Pops and not forgive me. Pops is some old vet I train with. He don't mean shit to me. The it's very not not to beat this dead horse, but very reminiscent of Ziggy 
and his dad in season two of The Wire when he's like, so what are we out here like talking to the Wharf Rats? It's like, beats the fuck out of me. Um, I Very much that vibe. But the uh, I, I want to let you finish your plot synopsis, but um, the 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 great thing about warrior is it's one of these films that really plays with the idea of who's the hero and who's the villain and there's a lot of moral quandary and philosophizing uh embedded in the subtext that most movies either that it's either utterly absent of most motion pictures especially today or some try to put it in there but the writing is so clumsy they trip all over themselves warrior is this rare gem that really plays with that idea and like does it exquisitely. And I, that scene on the beach encapsulates what I'm talking about. I think Roger Ebert, it was either, uh, it was Ebert or more. I forget which one, but one of them mm-hmm. in their review of this movie said, this is one of the rare sports movies where in the final game slash fight, you want both parties to win. Yeah. You have, this is legitimately one of the most like tense fights you'll ever watch because you really, because there's a case to be made for both guys to win. There's a case for the audience to cheer on both guys. Um, and, and you don't, and, and you really don't, they don't telegraph in any kind of way. Like, you know, Hallie, <laughs> you kind of knew where, where it was going with Hallie Barry and, and, uh, clearly and champion. Like this one, you legitimately don't know until it's over how it's going to end. But yeah, go on, so, finish the plot synopsis so we can get, get So in our final fight, um, Nick Nolte, who again fell off the wagon, is passed out upstairs. So Tommy fights alone, which would never happen. You are required to have at least one person in your corner, if not two, depending on which state you're in. But he fights Brendan. He beats the crap out of him for a couple of rounds before getting caught in an plata and having his shoulder pop, but he won't give up. So they and nobody through. will check him, and there are no doctors because apparently this too took place in Abu Dhabi and New Jersey, which depending on the year. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- look, look, that's one of those things I'll let go for the sake of dramatic tension in the movie. But I have to point never, it out, but it's a minor quibble. Yeah, would never like the guy switches to his other stance, and his other arm won't come above his shoulder. <laughs> He's li- doing this, and for those of you on audio, his, it. it Look, you don't have to be a sports enthusiast to know something's wrong with his shoulder. Yeah. No, yeah. nobody with, with with an ounce of credibility would have let that fight continue. Not an ounce, no. Uh, so again, maybe California <laughs> or Texas. Certainly Texas, possibly Florida. <laughs> He's dead. Yeah, but we still have more fight to go. So prop him. Yeah, up. but look, the scores are already in for Canelo. So can you get him up <laughs> off the canvas? Jokes, I everybody. I don't care if you have to puppeteer him like Freddie and. um anyway so the fight concludes with brendan winning he's able to uh, lock up a rear naked choke he expresses his love for his brother his brother finally in the beaten battered remnants of his soul accepts this submits loses and is then carted off to military prison because he was awol and had abandoned his unit after saving them at one guy yeah. Like on it after abandoning his unit, he see like this is one of the other ways he gained some notoriety as a character. At, on his way out of country, as he had abandoned, he had gone AWOL. He comes across a tank that is stuck and under fire, and he just rips one of the doors off of it so that the people inside can get out safely. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I so that's what I want to and, start. And this is where we end with the the brothers kind of reunited and Nick Nolte finally able he recovers enough to see the end the end of this. Mm-hmm. And the family starts the healing process. 
not everyone gets their crap together all at once magically, but... <laughs> so I want to really focus on the Tom Hardy character because there are no traditional villains in this thing. There are no necessarily antagonists. Tom Hardy's story is a sympathetic and a tragic one. On the one hand, he's a deserter, which he, which he points out. Um, there's a great conversation with him and Nick Nolte as he's sort of killing time, plugging yeah. quarters into a slot machine. And, you know, and so the, the notoriety of him saving the tank, uh, uh, the soldiers in the tank comes to light. And Nick Nolte's like, what a great and wonderful thing you did. And he goes, was it also great and wonderful that I deserted my unit? Dick. So um, just the implication in that sentence. Right. But, oh yeah, that, that's such a great scene because his dad is trying to reach him. Like, well, that, know, I was a I was a Vietnam vet. Mm-hmm. I've seen stuff. I can help you with this, and he just tells him to piss off. Yeah, he essentially throws like coins in his face. He does. That's what I want to get to. So like, he is. So he, on the one hand, he deserted his unit. On the other hand, he's supporting his dead friend's family. Who was killed by hand, friendly fire. Yeah. On the so. On the one hand, he's going to his father and saying, I have a need, you have an ability, use your ability to help me fulfill this need. On the other hand, he's so mean to his father. On the one hand, his father is a drunk. On the other hand, he's in recovery and is not forgiveness a thing. Yeah. Um, what are we doing in this world if nobody can be you know, forgiven for their sins of the past? But Tommy just refuses, except that that is the entire platform for which Tommy holds uh, his angst upon against Brendan because you know he's like, well, you know, I, I left Dad because he was a drunk, and you stayed with him. You should have left too. And Brendan's like, I, I a was sixteen. You know, there's a great scene between Brendan also and Nick Nolte where he oh, was yeah. like, Look, when, I'm willing to, I'm willing to give the, you, uh, I, will, I don't want you to be a part of my life. You're kind you, of a toxic person. You got yeah. Uh, when he drives up to try and. Uh see his grandkids mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, he tells he tells him at that point you know you want to reach out you can write a letter you can make a phone call you don't show up at my house right and which is a which as a father you know you absolutely sympathetic with because you know you don't necessarily want unpredictable chaotic people around your children um he may be in recovery and god bless him for it that doesn't make him any less of any of the things i just said um in theory so what I'm trying to get at here is what the, the writing of thing of this is so good. They created really a really multifaceted, complex character in Tommy. And he's the kind of person where it's like, he's doing some things you want to root for, but he's doing some things you think he's terrible for. Like you can understand his uh, animosity towards Nick Nolte, but it makes him kind of a bag of dicks that he went to Nick Nolte in the first place, if that's how he felt. And then again, you accept him as your trainer, but then you mistreat him the entire time. Nick Nolte has a great line in the diner when he finally accepts the gig. And he's just like, he's just like, you came to me. You can't quit every five minutes. And threatening to quit every (laughs) get off of that crap you're on and don't eat any of this stuff in the diner. This is for losers and old men. And it's a great scene because there's a vulnerability in Tommy that he doesn't display in any other part of this movie. Yeah. And then goes right back to mistreating Nick Nolte again and again. And again, if you want to, if you, as someone's child, want to hold your parents forever, you know, um, for the crimes they committed against you through, uh, substance abuse or any other kind of abuse that's on you. And I'm not going to take that away from people, but then don't go to them for favors either. And, you know, and that's one of the things I have. Um, I think it's great writing, but it's one of those things that makes me have an issue with that character to where 
like on the one hand, I want him to win the money to, to, to help the family. On the other hand, I don't want him to win because he's he <laughs> morally uh, fractured uh, person. And then you have Brendan, who he, he's kind of the white knight through this whole thing. He's, uh, you know, a little bit. I think some of his heelish tendencies, and again, these are just tendencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, he, he lies to his wife. Right, which you should not do. Which you shouldn't do. And I think kind of the other thing that, and again, I, I, w- I wouldn't call this a full-on, you know, heel move, but he really likes fighting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's very apparent that this is something he likes to do. On the Adrian scale, the wife is maybe a three. She's not the worst one I've ever seen. No. She has she, some legitimate gripes in this movie. Like Her gripe is not, I hate fighting. Right. Her gripe is... Her gripe is, you know, we agreed you, we weren't going to do this. So, and, hang on. Pat just chimed in with the uh, Jennifer Morrison plays Tess Conlon, and Pat's contention, and I believe he's correct, is probably the best wife character of any of these kinds of movies. Also, a hell of an actress. Uh, 100% up there. Yeah. Her, her contention is not, I hate fighting. She does, but that's not her point. Her point is, you know, I was with you in the back of an ambulance more than once. Right. And I don't want to go through that again. And, and at which point there some yeah, of their financials not, come to life. Everything is not fighting as bad. It's your time as a fighter is probably done. Yeah. And geez. and he says, well, look, I I need to help make ends meet because we're upside down in our mortgage. And I'm fighting a bunch of idiots who watch too much UFC on television. Right. I can. This is not at a the, problem. At, at the regional level he's fighting at, he makes a good case for it's fine. I'm not in any real danger. He's, I mean, he's not even fighting on like the legitimate regional level. Like yeah, he's, he's fighting, fighting like, parking lot brawls. Yeah. Like, like, like legitimate. Literally, they, the fight that they show him taking that that is the basis of her gripes with him in, in the movie and it's sort of a plot point that moves things forward because he loses his teaching gig over it is a fight staged in the parking lot of a strip club. And oh, and by the way, if anyone's wondering, which was which was very ironic to me, so I said I went with my jujitsu class to this, um, they staged a fight in the strip club. Like, yep, that happens. <laughs> the the octagon was on one of the dancing stages. They had, you know, trying to get around the poles and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. That happens. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll feature. I'm sure Triller will try that in the next handful. God, of I hope so because I might buy one of their events again if it's you know you know alternating between fights and stripping, with a overpaid musical number as well. Uh, you know what? I almost bought the triad fight for Metallica, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it, you know, it, apparently, look, Metallica still puts on a good show. They certainly do, Ollie. Uh, all right. So uh, he also kind of, again, he does some things that are they're more endearing the way uh, mm-hmm. Edgerton plays them. Well, again, you know, he's you not. Know, when he, well, hang on. Like when he's getting before he gets called in and basically fired mm-hmm. for his moonlighting job, and he tells the principal, "You know, I, you know, I used to be one of those animals." Well, the principal calls him and says, "I can't believe you fight with those animals." And he goes, "I used to be one of those animals." I guess I didn't put that on the old resume. <laughs> you lied about this big history, this big part mm-hmm. in your work history. Uh, he does some stuff like that, and I think the other big thing that kind of makes you. Uh, root against him just a little bit. And again, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's the way he treats his dad, which yeah. is understandable, but also a little bit heel. Again, like I'm not saying he's wrong and he's not being unreasonable even necessarily. Mm-hmm. When he says, you know, look, 
you beat my mom, you beat my brother, you beat me, you were a drunken asshole. I can accept that you're in recovery and that you're trying to do better and you know, God bless. But if you ever want to come over here, I you, the only way I want to talk to you right now is through a telephone or a series of letters. Like right. it's it's not unreasonable, but at the same time, he assumes the worst of his father. And even when that is clearly not what's going on. Right. And at least clear to the audience. That's what I mean. Like it's hard because I'm somebody who I who forgiveness is, is I think very important. Um, I think you know personally, and if you're watching it in film, but look, some people I, I've said this on this podcast before, and I've said this to people in therapy. Think about every year you've hurt somebody, and you know that's how many years it's going to take for them to trust you again, more than likely on average. And for people, that's a that's decades. You know, that's a long time. Um. It, it it's it's not uh, trust and forgiveness are important things to to solve the human soul. It's not the easiest thing in the world to come by. It's really not at all, um, people, especially if you're traumatized. People also misunderstand forgiveness. Mm -hmm. People think forgiveness is about the person doing the other person doing something, and it's really not. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is about you. It's about you putting down a chunk of weight that you could be carrying around with you. I, I don't want to get a too personal, b way off the beaten path, but um, I was uh, physically abused as a kid, and I had to forgive the person who did the physically abusing. And it was not about it was it was about me letting go of the anger yeah. that had been directing a lot of my decision making, a lot a lot of where my life went, and feeling like if I would like to make better decisions. I need to let go of this weight, this albatross that I carry around with me because I was abused for as many years as I was. So that's an example of mm -hmm. that's what it means to forgive. It's to it free does, yourself of those burdens. It does not mean that it's okay. It does not mean the other person's done anything different. Like that's not what it's about. And people cut and look, coming to that realization is difficult. Some people like carrying around all that crap and it's not until sure. years later, they realize it's a weight, not a, it was, you know, it was one of my gripes with Bruce that I didn't really get to, but you know, the whole, she's a real fighter only when she's angry trope, like get them. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny. Cause Frank Grillo actually says several times, like settle down, settle, settle down. down. Settle down. Well, Frank right. Grillo, uh, largely based his portrayal of this character on Greg Jackson, who's a mm -hmm. real trainer. Uh, so he's, he's frequently, yeah, you don't fight angry. It's a bad right. idea. It's a bad idea. You want but, to be you know, as clear-headed as you can be. The misunderstanding about about combat sports is that the, you know these people are fired up with anger and are striking out, you know, against someone. And the 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 trick with it is you learn techniques and you can't execute those techniques if you're a, a fiery rage of emotions. Yeah, your your vision gets narrow. You if you're angry, your heart beats faster and you get right. tired faster. Right, you gas out. Yeah, it so Breathe, uh, stupid breathe. You forgot to yeah. breathe again. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention about Warrior, uh, I give a lot of credit to both Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton for not only getting into good physical shape, but getting into legitimate fight shape. And mm -hmm. there's a world of difference between cosmetic shape and functional shape. The way Tom ha Hardy acts with his body, also given his body oh, yeah. mass and shape, I'm pulling for him to play the hunchback of Notre Dame. It's ridiculous. Or, yeah. or Donkey Kong, one of the two. He is in like gorilla shape. 
Yeah, he, uh, Hardy's a bit of an ectomorph. If you look at some of his, he's not quite Christian Bale, where he goes from 120 pounds to Batman. <laughs> but he, if you've seen him in different roles, he can he can change his body quite a bit, mm -hmm. uh, depending on what he chooses to do with it. Um, uh, we mentioned Nick Nolte, and just again, deserved every bit of that nomination that he got. I wouldn't have complained if he'd won. Uh, any number of scenes he's in, he gives a heartbreaking performance as Pat Mullen once again expresses his undying admiration of Tom Hardy's trapezius muscles. <laughs> uh, look, Warrior is the only genuinely good mixed martial arts film that exists. It places the sport in a centralized role, but is smart enough to make this about the characters, not the sport. It crafts uh, characters that you care about. It crafts a narrative around them that is believable and one that you can cheer for. And it realistically portrays the training. Uh, yeah, my brother chiming in with Tom Hardy goes from power from fighting shape in this to then powerlifting to be big enough for Bane and breaking Christian Bale over his knee. Accurate. Uh, serious ectomorph. <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> This yeah, this is a genuinely great movie. If you haven't seen it, go do so. Uh, Nolte's performance alone is noteworthy. If you have any life experience at all, there's places where this movie will make you cry. This is a movie for general audiences to appreciate. I want to. I, I, the last thing I want you to touch on, I'm going to posit this to you. If I remember correctly, my instructor, who um, who had been rolling in jujitsu and had earned some degree of notoriety in his time. Um, was annoyed when this movie was over and he was absolutely focusing on the wrong like pillar of this thing but i'm sure he didn't feel like warrior got the mixed martial arts right especially the grappling element like for whatever there and i and again it was a decade ago i've had a lifetime of experiences in this past decade so i so if i if i'm misrepresenting him i apologize but what I remember my instructor saying at the time when it was over was he didn't like Warrior because he didn't feel like the jujitsu was authentic looking. And I wanted to get your opinion on that, if I remember correctly. I think that would largely depend on which segment we're talking about. I, I, look, the guy hits an omoplata and it works. Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there's some legitimacy to that comment. Um, there's a bit, but I... I also think your instructor might have been, um, again, omoplatas work if you get them fully locked in. You just don't see it that often. It's a low percentage submission. It's more designed to induce movement than it mm -hmm. is to actually connect and, and you know, win the fight. You, you'll see it on occasion. If you see anyone who's really good against someone who's not good, you might see it more frequently. But uh, beyond that, no, I... I, as an outside observer of the sport at the time, and you know, just someone who's watched a lot of it, my own training is uh, a bit more sporadic when it comes to the grappling. I, I didn't have any major qualms with it. it it's, it's more realistic in terms of everything that goes on in their feels like that's how it is in a fight. And it's, uh, I found it more believable than most of the grappling and, you know, bruise just by way of contrast. The stuff in Bruised is choreographed by people who know jujitsu, but people who don't know fighting. I would, I, I, um, I would wonder if you took just a general audience of people who 
don't watch mixed martial arts at all. Maybe they even don't like fighting and sat them down and did a double feature of Bruise and Warrior and then asked them, which one did you prefer based solely on the fighting? My guess is they would almost nine out of 10 prefer Bruised. Um, based just on the fighting? Yeah. I actually might disagree with you on that. You really think Warrior is more appealing to general audiences? I do, actually. Uh, I think... I think Warrior does a better job of uh, conveying some of the franticness of a fight, of creating the, uh, conveying the physicality. Like Warrior, when there's times when you're watching that movie, when uh, you know, Edgerton's getting pounded on from top position, mm-hmm. it feels very, very real. There's no visceral connection to anything that happens in Bruised. Um, the one thing I will give you, and this will be the last thing I say, and then we're going to get into plugs. Um, if, if, again, double feature, general audience, sit down and watch them together. People might not like Bruce because it's a lot bloodier of a film than Warrior is. There's almost uh, no blood in that entire sequence. Yeah, that's true. And Halle Berry gets busted up pretty badly, especially in that last fight. Yeah, she looks like she goes through the windshield when, when Shevchenko's done with her. Which is accurate to how that would go if they fought. <laughs> well, no. And <laughs> the, it, what would happen in reality is Shevchenko would kick her in the head and it would be over in even, 10 seconds. She wouldn't even kick. She would even have to kick her in the head. One good body. People don't understand how much you have to condition your body mm-hmm. to take even a, a decent shot to the body. One good body. Ki- I mean, again, Val- I, I joked about this when the story came out about Valentina busting up Halle Berry's ribs. Mm-hmm. As soon as that happened, her life must have flashed before her eyes. <laughs> Like, like right. both both of them for very different reasons. Like Halle Berry suddenly can't breathe. Like, oh, this person could kill me if they wanted to. And Valentina, like, oh God, I, I'm never gonna work in Hollywood again. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, they actually be apparently they became decent enough friends after this. Halle Berry was showing up at a bunch of MMA fights, mm-hmm. mostly Valentina's. I, I assume some of it was just to promote the Watch movie. Watch Valentina but... Shevchenko show up in another Halle Berry movie. But as kind of like the the model who was the Terminator in um, Terminator Three, something along those lines. Like like you don't have to talk, sweetie. Just be tough looking and run around in a tight outfit. Uh, and look, Val- Valentina's got an odd charisma. I'm not sure how much of it translates to screen, but I'd be curious to see. Tell you what, she looked hot and bruised. Like when she was doing when they were doing the weigh-ins and she was done up with the makeup and the- everything, her, and her comic book t- style hair. She looked great. Uh, look, Valentina Shevchenko, whether she wants them or not, has an army of simps. <laughs> the, you know, the other one, the one who keeps losing bare knuckle fights, the hot one. Um, Paige Van Zant. Paige Van Zant. Yeah, I'm actually surprised she wasn't in this either. There's another been... one that I was like, wait, really? I'm just all the people, gonna, huh? <laughs> I'm just going to quote Pat. She would have had to learn to fight to be in the movie. <laughs> Hang on. God, could you give me a signal next time? <laughs> And with Pinkie Pie, I think we've arrived at the end of our journey here at almost two hours. I want to thank, first of all, if you um, check this out, uh, if you've checked this out tonight via live stream on Twitch or YouTube or Facebook or uh, Twitter, want to say we appreciate you. Uh, except for the Metal Hammer of Doom, all of our podcasts are now live stream in those places. I don't always get a chance to advertise them. Um, but whenever we go live, um, and the schedule is on Facebook on our Rattledge and Broadcasting and W2M Network Facebook page, um, 
you know, uh, you know, check us out. Do like Pat did. You can send in comments and we'll put them up on the board here. We certainly appreciate the interaction. I think that interaction has really helped us out. Our numbers are slowly but surely increasing, especially on YouTube. And a large part of that has to be because we keep doing these live streams. Um, in addition to which, uh, just about every Saturday for the foreseeable future, or in this case, Sunday, uh, some, me and someone else, whether it's Robert, Pat, Daniel Lasby, um, Chris Bailey, uh, maybe somebody new out there. I've reached out to a few different people. I'm hoping to get maybe Carlos Toro on here uh, as by way of example. Um, we are doing live stream of uh, boxing matches that are happening, just the main events. Robert and I did Tiafima Lopez versus Cambosis last weekend. Uh, prior to that, myself and Lasby did um, Bud Crawford versus Sean Porter. Uh, we've got, like I said, Pat and I are going to be doing the Lomachenko fight. Uh, Robert and I are doing the, uh, Tank Davis, Isaac Cruz fight. So, you know, I've been thinking about that fight. Mm -hmm. It occurs to me that, well, I still predict Tank Davis to win. <laughs> uh, my brother uses terrible emotes. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I predict him to win. Isaac Cruz is a much better boxer than Rolly Romero. <laughs> and that's a, in some respects, that's a much better fight. So anyway, my point being, um, when we do those, those are absolutely live streamed. We're getting a lot of good interaction from them. Feel free to hang out with us. Um, we did a fight a couple of weeks ago on ESPN where it ended in the first round. And then we spent the next half hour answering people's questions. It was really fun. So um, go Didn't, ahead. Wasn't that the one where somebody threatened to Kimura you? Somebody threatened to beat me up, yes. Um, <laughs> that, the YouTube comment section, ladies and gentlemen, anytime... I went, I'm went. i almost 50 and fat. Have at it. I don't know what to tell you. Look, um, anyone who just... Anyone who, there's a bunch of people... Anytime you talk combat sports or martial arts on YouTube, you're going to get those people. Just like whenever you live stream anything on Facebook, you get people that quote bib that post biblical verses at you. It's just True I don't I, I don't under I don't know these people. I don't understand them, but this is what they do. And anyway... So the point being, um, I just want to appreciate, I appreciate everyone that's done it. It's helped a lot. Our, like I said, our numbers are growing. 100%. We love you guys. We are, the next goal I want to get to is I want to be able to get on Rotten Tomatoes. And that is only going to come if more people <laughs> subscribe to our YouTube channel. So, Or like, if we get a lot, or, or if we can get a lot more, uh, ratings on on apple Podcasts. yeah so if you want to help us out give us a rating and a comment on apple Podcasts, or subscribe and or subscribe to our youtube channel um and the Please more like people the videos that do that, the closer we get to uh you know to, to to getting to the next series of goals that we have for this so anyway enough of me pandering and begging which i hate doing but i love you all um in any case myself jason teasley and robert winfrey uh, reviewed Resident Evil, and then we yelled back at at Ridley Scott because Ridley Scott was yelling at clouds, and we got on those clouds and we yelled back down at him and said, "How dare you yell at clouds, sir?" Um, what did they ever myself, do to you? Myself, Robert Winfrey, and Alexis Haina uh, reviewed Encanto. We had a raucous caucus debate about Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, speaking of raucous caucuses. Myself, Pat Mullen, and Jason Teasley reviewed you season two. We've got Disney trivia. 80% less alcohol this time. Tomorrow, myself and Alexis Hanna reviewing Animaniacs season two. And when I, as soon as I'm done watching The Beatles Get Back part one, which is like two and a half hours, myself and Ronnie Adams will be reviewing Why the Last Man this Friday. 
We've got some Volbeat uh, re-airs to share with you. Rewind, replay, rebound, and then uh, seal the deal and let's boogie. Saturday, uh, Al Sedano and Jesse Starcher are reviewing Stars and Stripe Volume 2. And then um, Sunday, I actually moved some stuff around. A week from uh, Friday, there's going to be a limited theatrical release for Adam McKay's Don't Look Up before it uh, streams exclusively on Netflix. So to uh, go along with that, we are re-airing our The Big Short review, uh, Big Short review that uh, I don't, was directed by Adam McKay, as a matter of fact. I have no idea how Adam McKay directed that and has directed nothing but dumpster fire sense. <laughs> and then the aforementioned Tank Davis-Isaac Cruz fight. Uh, that, and then um, next week, just really quick, uh, another triple feature. We're doing a lot of these recently. We got uh, me and Jason Teasley doing King Richard, The Guilty, and Night Teeth. What do those things have in common? They're all recently streaming movies. <laughs> Other than that, That's nothing it. else. There's, um, there's no grand theme connecting them. No. Uh, Christian. I, su- I suppose you could make an effort to laugh at Will Smith in all three movies, but it only works in one of them. Um, Christine and I are reviewing War Games, and um, then myself, uh, Alexis, with David, totally and Robert, not, with totally not Steiner. Yeah. Are going to be reviewing Cowboy Bebop. They are going to be reviewing Cowboy Bebop. I'm just going to watch them talk and, and, and drink. Um, I wish. Myself and Jesse Starcher will be reviewing Doom Patrol Season 3 next week. And then Pat, who was nice enough to hang out with us in the chat this evening. We are finally getting to Chapter 6 after a month off. Leonard versus Hearns, the showdown at the palace. We'll talk Look, all about it a I, week I, from Thursday. I'm going to say this again. If you've never heard Sugar Ray Leonard talk about that fight, <laughs> fine, gentlemen, get you a woman who will talk about your body the way... Leonard, the way Sugar Leonard talks about Mar, uh, talks about Thomas Hearns, because if if, I'm, if I may quote Sugar Ray Leonard, you got Thomas Hearns who's six two. He's li- officially listed as six one, six two, six three. Some say six four. Get you someone who will talk about your body the way he will exaggerate for you the way he does about Thomas Hearns. All right, don't repeat the things that I just said, but do your plugs. Uh, Mark mentioned a bunch of movie reviews in the past. Oh Give God. all those a check. <laughs> I didn't list them individually. Uh, this coming, let me think, uh, mentioned a few of the upcoming things. Yeah, we had, November was our best month ever. So I want to thank all of you for that. We're hoping to make December just as good, if not better, as we all go into lockdown again, because Omicron's here. No. Uni- <laughs> no. <laughs> then you, look, then Unicron shows up and devours the planet. Yeah, sure. I, I would believe that. Um. Transformers reference. The good Transformers movie. There's only one of them, and it came out the year I was born. Uh, I cover professional wrestling a few nights a week over at 411mania.com, AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW's Fusion Alpha on Wednesdays. In fact, my report went live as we were doing this. And WWE SmackDown on Fridays. And then I cover UFC events on Saturdays when they exist. This week, UFC on ESPN 31, Jose Aldo and Rob Font. Heck of a bantamweight fight. Great co-main event between Rafael Fiziev and uh, Brad Riddell. That could be a barn burner. So be on the lookout for those. I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast if you're interested in the sport. And given that you're watching us talk about three MMA movies, I'm going to just take a shot and say maybe you do. If you're interested in my thoughts on the sport in general, I preview fights, I review fights, I talk news of the week. Uh, give that a listen wherever you're listening to this. You can probably find it there. It's the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. Uh, 
this next week will be a review of UFC two uh, on ESPN 31, and I believe I have a preview of a pay per view. Hey, if you're doing, um, I, I guess you'll have it recorded and in the can before we get to the main event of Cruz Davis, right? Uh, either that or I'll record it after, either way. Okay. And yeah, I will be previewing UFC 269, uh, which is headlined by a lightweight title fight between Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier. It's a great fight. Amanda Nunes is going to kill someone, which is always fun. Cody Garbrandt makes his flyweight debut, desperately trying to rehabilitate his career. Uh, so yeah, I'll have a full preview of that card this coming Saturday. Uh, I record Sunday evenings, so it usually goes live early Monday. Uh, so if you're interested, give that a listen and I'll be pre again, reviewing and previewing. That should be a good time. All right, folks. Thank you for joining us here on triple feature for Robert Winfrey. I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe and behave. <laughs>